0: Yosef and Yehuda by Rav Yaakov Medan At the beginning of our parasha, Yehuda and Yosef clash over Minyamin's fate. The Midrash, in addressing this tension, teaches, They, the brothers, said, Kings are negotiating with each other. Of what concern is it to us? If the brothers refer to Yehuda and Yosef as kings, these two tribes must clearly be special in some way. This will be the subject of our shiur. These are the generations of Yaakov. Yosef was seventeen years old when he was a shepherd with his brothers. The commentators have a difficult time with this expression at the beginning of Parashat Vayeshev, for a list of Yaakov's children appears nowhere in the parasha. Various explanations have been offered to resolve this problem. Among the better known are, First, generations, todot, is meant here in the sense of events of his life, as in, what the day will bring forth, yeled. Second, Toldot refers here to sons, and the sons of Yaakov are indeed Yosef and his brothers, who are referred to in the parasha, although not listed by name. Third, the heading, The Generations of Yaakov, refers to chapter 46. These are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt, where Yaakov's children and grandchildren are all listed. And fourth, the word dwelled in the previous verse is carried into this verse. What the Torah means is, These are the dwelling places of the generations of Yaakov. I shall not discuss in detail the difficulties presented by each of these interpretations, suffice it to say that I find them unsatisfactory. I prefer to adopt the Midrash quoted by Rashi, with a slight change which, in my view, enables it to sit more squarely with the literal sense of the text. These are the generations of Yaakov, Yosef. What the text should have said here is, these are the generations of Yaakov, Reuven. Why then does it say Yosef? to tell us that all that happened to one of them likewise happened to the other. The Midrash regards Yosef the most important of Yaakov's offspring, for it was to Yosef that Yaakov passed down the image of his face, and similar events happened to both of them. In my understanding, the generations of Yaakov are Yosef and Yehuda, to whose lives and families the next few chapters of Sefer Breshit are devoted. It appears that this is the fundamental explanation for why the story of the establishment of Yehuda's family is interwoven with the establishment of Yosef's family. The two stories even parallel one another. First, Yehuda, ill-fated marriage to Bathsheba, and Yosef, ill-fated relationship with the wife of Potiphar. Second, Yehuda, true lasting marriage to Tamar, and Yosef, true lasting marriage to Osnat. Third, Yehuda, Birth of Peretz and Zerach, and Yosef, birth of Minashe and Ephraim, and fourth, Yehuda, the younger, bursts forth, Paratz, and takes the birthright, and Yosef, the younger, is blessed with power and royalty. The story of Yaakov's generations then concludes with chapter forty-one and the beginning of the years of famine, when the respective families of Yehuda and of Yosef are fully established. I have proceeded from the assumption that just as each of the initial matriarchs, Sarah and Rivkah, had one son who was most important, so did the latter matriarchs, Yaakov's wives. Leah's most important son was Yehuda, while Rachel's most important son was Yosef. The fact that Yaakov had two principal heirs, Yehuda and Yosef, rather than one principal heir, as his forefathers had, results from Yaakov having had two wives of full status, as opposed to maidservants or concubines while Abraham and Yitzchak each had only one wife of full status. Let us elaborate on this matter of Yosef and Yehuda as being the most important of Yaakov's sons. Some of the points that make Yosef and Yehuda stand out among their brothers are well known. The following is a brief summary of them. First, after Uven's violation of his father's privacy, the birthright was given to Yosef and the leadership to Yehuda. Only Yosef, aside from Ruven, is worthy of the birthright, since only he is a firstborn of a wife of Yaakov. The leadership, on the other hand, passes naturally to the eldest among the brothers. Since Shimon and Levi had lost their chances of being considered worthy candidates because of what they had done in Shechem, the leadership passed to Judah. The verse tells us, Because he violated his father's bed, his birthright was given to the children of Yosef, son of Israel, but not to have the birthright attributed to him by genealogy. For Judah prevailed over his brothers. The chief ruler came from him but the birthright was given to Yosef. Second, we have already mentioned that even the brothers themselves, according to the Midrash, referred to Yosef and Yehuda as kings. Yaakov also recognized this. He chose to send Yehuda specifically to Yosef to show the way before him to Goshen. Third, when the kingdom split, following the death of King Shlomo, Rehavam and his descendants of the house of David ruled in Jerusalem, while Yerovam of the house of Yosef ruled in Tirzah. Later on, too, most of Yerobam's successors, up until the destruction of the Temple, were from the house of Yosef, and the kingdom of ten tribes is often referred to by the prophets by the name Ephraim. Fourth, the Mishkan resided in the portion of Yosef, and the Temple in the portion of Yehudah. The tribe of Binyamin was part of both of them, both in Jerusalem and in the strip emerging from their portion towards Shiloh. And fifth, in the days to come, the prophecy of Yechezkel is destined to be fulfilled, concerning the joining of the branch of Judah and the branch of Ephraim into a single royal house. According to tradition and Kabbalah, two messiahs are destined to arise, Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. What is common to all of these points is that all are related to the royalty and to the Temple. These points are the basis for the tradition that the two messiahs that will arise in the days to come will be from the descendants of Yosef and of Yuda. In this section, I shall address the importance of Yosef and Yehuda from other perspectives, not only that of royalty. First, the Torah refers to the tribes as Yehuda and his brothers, and Yosef's brothers. Nowhere is the group ever referred to as Reuven and his brothers, Dan's brothers, etc. Second, the details that the Torah provides concerning Yehuda's family and Yosef's family are far more numerous than those provided with regard to all the other brothers and their families. We know that Yehuda's wife's name was Tamar, and that Yosef's wife's name was Osnat. We are also told of the circumstances in which Yuda married Tamar, and of the circumstances surrounding Yosef's marriage to Osnat. Likewise, we know the reasons for the names that Yuda chooses for his sons, and the circumstances of their birth, as well as the reasons for the names of Yosef's sons and when they were born. From this perspective, Yosef and Yuda resemble the forefathers— concerning whom the Torah details the circumstances of their marriages, the names of their wives, the circumstances of their children's births, and the reasons for the names given to them. As for the rest of the tribes, we have no idea what Yisachar's wife's name was, or why Zebulun called his children Sered, Elon, and Yachliel. Third, the phenomenon discussed above may be related to another one. All the brothers married Canaanite wives, deviating thereby from the practice of the forefathers and from the oath that Abraham made his servants swear— You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. The only brothers who did not marry Canaanite wives were Yosef and Yehuda. Admittedly, Yehuda's first marriage was to the daughter of a Canaanite, but the failure of this marriage, the premature death of his wife and the death of her two sons, both childless, appears to prove that it was not proper for him to have married a Canaanite wife, for he was the most important of the generations of Yaakov.' This may be the reason why the Canaanite woman's name is not mentioned explicitly, nor are we told about the circumstances of their marriage, the birth of their children, or the meanings of their names. In marrying the daughter of Shua, Yehuda resembled the rest of his brothers, not Yosef. When Yehuda married the daughter of Shua, the Torah says, Yehuda descended from among his brothers. In other words, his status became diminished. Only when he married Tamar did he regain the level of the generations of Yaakov. Yuda and Yosef, then, are the only two sons who establish families like the forefathers. Fourth, like the forefathers, Yuda and Yosef are the only two of Yaakov's children concerning whom the Torah recounts at length what happened during their lives, and especially the challenges they faced. They are the only brothers whose good deeds are recorded in the Torah. Yosef is depicted as a righteous man for standing firm against the advances of Potiphar's wife, while Yuda is described as stumbling and later repenting in the story of Tamar. Likewise, Yosef is righteous for forgiving his brothers while Yehuda stumbles in selling Yosef, but then repents and is ready to sacrifice himself for Benjamin. Fifth, the special divine providence that rests upon Yehuda and Yosef seems to be hinted at in their very names. These two are the only ones among Yaakov's children who have God's name within their own names. Yehuda's name includes the original form of God's name, as does Yosef's name in its form in Tehillim, Yehosef. Their names are also the only ones that include an inherent appeal to God. Yosef, in the prayer, may God add for me another son, and Yuda in praise to God. Finally, sixth, it is not difficult to see that in Yaakov's will to his sons, he blesses his other sons in brief language, while the blessings to Yuda and Yosef are lengthy. It is likewise clear that the size of the inheritance of Yuda and of Yosef larger than that of their brothers is directly linked to the size of the blessing they received from their father. We shall now turn our attention to some more general issues related not only to Yuda and Yosef personally, but to the tribes that descended from them. By their nature, the scope of these issues exceeds the bounds of Sefer Breshit. First, the tribe of Yehuda and the combined house of Yosef are the largest of the tribes in both of the censuses that are conducted in the desert. Second, in the war against Amalek, four leaders emerge, Moshe and Aharon, the permanent leaders, and also Chur of the tribe of Yehuda at the top of the mountain, and Yoshua of the tribe of Ephraim on the battlefield. Throughout the forty years in the desert, we find no other instance of additional or auxiliary leaders on the national level. Third, in the story of the spies, the only two who do not fail are Yehoshua, tribe of Ephraim, and Kalev, tribe of Yehuda. Fourth, in addition to their inheritances in the land, Yehudah and Yosef are each given a special city from among the cities of their forefathers, in special circumstances. Moreover, both earn their special city even before they receive their inheritance. Yosef is given Shechem, as Yaakov tells him, "...I have given you one portion, Shechem Echad, more than your brother's." Apparently, Yosef earns Shrem as reward for his courage for going off to Shrem at his father's bidding, although he is aware of the dangers awaiting him. Kalev, the prince of the tribe of Yehuda, is awarded the city of Hebron for his courage in going there at the bidding of Moshe, although he knew of the dangers involved in this mission, and despite the four giants that threatened the city. It is in Hebron that the royal house of Yehuda starts out, while the royalty of the house of Yosef begins in Shrem. Fifth, we have already noted that the inheritances of Yehuda and of Yosef are considerably larger than those of their brothers. They occupy most of the area of Eretz Israel. It should also be noted that in Sefer Yoshua, their inheritances are given special attention. We find a list of their cities, their borders, and many other details. The number of verses devoted to their inheritances attests to this fact. We may also note that the children of Yehuda and the children of Yosef were the only ones who possessed the inheritance at its proper time— at the time when they were commanded to conquer and possess the land. The children of Gad and Reuven carry out a hurried inheritance before its time. They are rebuked by Moshe and are even punished by being the first of the tribes to go into exile. The other seven tribes have a delayed inheritance. They are rebuked by Joshua for their feebleness and are punished by being deprived of their inheritance. It should also be remembered that stories of selfless love for Eretz Yisrael are found only among the children of Yehuda who demand to receive Hebron and to conquer it, and the children of Yosef, who claim for themselves an additional inheritance. Yoshua also makes mention of the love of the women who inherited the land, the daughters of Tzlovchad, of the tribe of Minasheh and Yichsa, daughter of Kalev, from the tribe of Yehudah. Let us conclude with the two messiahs, Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. The image of these two figures may be seen in Yoshua as Mashiach ben Yosef and David as Mashiach ben David, the primary task of the king is to destroy the seed of Amalek. The war against Amalek was initiated by Yoshua and Riphidim, and was successfully completed by David. Unlike Shaul, who failed in this respect, Yoshua, who initiated the war, was ultimately the conqueror of Eretz Israel. David, who concluded the war, was ultimately the conqueror of Jerusalem. May it be established and rebuilt speedily in our days.